series. We've been on a journey for six months about running our best lap yet. If you've missed any of the messages, go onto the app, go onto the website, and you can catch up with them all. We're not going to go through them all today, okay? But what we have started look, digging into is um, 2 Peter chapter 1. And um, it feels like we're off the starting blocks already, that we're running our best lap, but we've just got off the starting blocks. And we read in 2 Peter chapter 1 that we have, through the promises of God, become partakers of the divine nature. And that word partake means to eat. So we, it's sort of become part of who we are. We don't have to sort of think, this is who I am on a Sunday, and then this is who I am on a Monday, on a Tuesday, and a Wednesday. No, we are partakers of God's divine nature. So we're going to pick it up. We're just going to read a couple of those verses as a reminder, as a refresher, from verse 5 to 8. 2 Peter 1, verses 5 to 8. And it says this, But also, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. To virtue, add knowledge. To knowledge, add self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, add brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. There's quite a lot of stuff there. But he says this, if these things are yours and abound, we're not talking about drip feeding. We're not talking about a little bit. No, if these are yours and abound, you'll be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see there that faith is the starting block. And we're not talking about whether we're a Muslim or we're a Buddhist or we're atheist or whatever we might be. We're talking about faith in Jesus for our salvation. So faith is the starting block. But we need to add to our faith. In fact, the ESV that Chris read from the, the other week, it said, supplement, supplement to your faith, supplement your faith. So we're adding these nutrients to our faith. And we've been through a whole host of them. We started off with virtue. Remember, virtue being moral excellence, being a per people of integrity, being that integer, that whole person. Who I am in private is who I am in public. I'm not a split personality. What you see here is what happens at home. Ask Chris. You know, it's true. True. We're going to be people of integrity, but we're going to add to our virtue knowledge. We're not just going to get knowledge for knowledge's sake. We're going to get knowledge, and we're going to, we're going to learn the Word of God, and we're going to apply. We're going to walk in the truth that we know. We don't have to walk in the truth we don't know. We just walk in the truth we do know. Self-control. Chris shared on that so brilliantly the other week, and he said, we're not referring to self-discipline. We're not going to put ourselves under law. We're not talking about self-discipline, but it's about making those daily choices, those daily choices. And today, we're going to hit the mark, boy. We're going all, we're going all in. We're going to talk about perseverance. Now, if I were you, I would have that sinking feeling in my heart right now. I think, oh, no, it's going to be one of these scriptures, and she's going to stand up there and tell us how we need to persevere through life. No, this isn't about perseverance, just gritting our teeth, being dogmatic, and just bless God, you know, 
I'm believing God and I'm going to get what I'm believing for and just being determined at any cost to get things done my way. That is not what perseverance is about. In fact, I love the way Peter has, has laid these words out. He says, because add to your perseverance, godliness, godliness. And I think that's so important because godliness encompasses all those other nutrients that we've, that we've already spoken about. He speaks of godliness inc includes things like brotherly kindness. Godliness encapsulates love. That is what godliness is about. It's love. It's about moral excellence. It's about having integrity. That is what godliness is about. God is a God of integrity. He's true to his word. We can trust him. And he's talking about here in godliness, humility and sanctity. It's about being reverent. There's a word we don't hear very often anymore, hey? About being reverent, about being aware of the holiness of God. It's, a, it's, a, it's an attitude of our heart, godliness. It's, a, it's our heart desire to that we carry in order to bring honor to God. That's what godliness is about. And in, two, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, I'm just going to read four words. It says, exercise yourself toward God's godliness. Exercise. Do you know what I did? I looked up in the concordance and I thought, I wonder what the Greek word is. Byron, don't give any clues. The Greek word for exercise. Gymnazo. That's the Greek word for exercise. We've got to take ourselves to the gym, people, and we're going to exercise ourselves towards godliness. In, in fact, I like what the Amplified says. It says, says keep yourselves spiritually, um, spiritually fit. So we're not going to have any spiritually flabby Christians here. Okay, we're not going to be spiritually flabby. We're going to be spiritually fit. We're going to be deliberate. How many, you know, when you want to go to the gym, you don't just sort of transpose yourself your one minute you're watching TV, eating a bag of potato crisps, and the next thing, you know, you just arrive at the gym. You've got to be deliberate when you go into the gym, even if it's in your garage and you've unpacked the treadmill. You know, even in those cases, you, 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 you are deliberate. So we've got to exercise ourselves towards godliness. And he goes on in 1 Timothy 4, he says, for bodily exercise profits a little. So it is good for us to exercise. But godliness is profitable for all things, for all things, having promise of the life that now is <clears throat> and of that which is to come. Godliness, is, it, it benefits us now and in the life to come. And then in 1 Timothy 6, verse 11, he says, pursue, this is the Apostle Paul writing to, to the pastor, to, 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 to Timothy, he says, pursue righteousness, godliness, pursue it. In other words, it's like a race. You've got to, you've got to be deliberate. You've got to be committed to it. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience. In the NIV, it's perseverance. Pursue perseverance. Pursue godliness. 
and gentleness. <clears throat> so we're called to add to our faith perseverance, and to perseverance, add to our perseverance godliness. So persevering is one thing, but how we persevere matters. And you know, so often, I think perseverance can be viewed in such a negative way. It ha it's sort of, it's associated with unpleasantness. When you hear the word perseverance, you think, oh no, oh no. Just, it implies hardship. It implies difficulty. You know, you don't have to persevere good things. It's normally a hard thing or a trial that we have to persevere. But Peter says in the scripture, he says, add to your faith supplement to your faith. These things nourish, they complement, they assist our faith. So these things, these ingredients, faith and, um, come on, name them, integrity, knowledge, self-control, all these things are good for us. Perseverance is beneficial to us. So these are all additives and nutrients that we mix with our faith. And, and he says there, as we, as we add them and as we abound in them, we overflow of, in them, we will grow more and more into the image of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And that's what this whole thing is about. It's about conforming to the image of Jesus. Amen. You can say amen. Okay, okay. So perseverance is good for us. So some of them might be painful in the making. Sometimes perseverance can be painful in the making. But generally, overall, in the long term, perseverance will benefit us. So what's the definition of perseverance? Just in case you didn't know, as if you didn't know. But being, <clears throat> a definition of perseverance is being steadfast. And I like that word. And there's a scripture that says that the steadfast love of the Lord never fails. His mercies are new every day. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is steadfast. He is, he perseveres with us. Praise God he doesn't give up on us, hey? I mean, if I was God, I think I would have given up on me a long time ago, but he doesn't. He's per he perseveres with you as well, you innocent ones out there, and he perseveres with me. So being, the definition is being steadfast, being persistent, in doing something despite difficulty, despite opposition, and despite delay in achieving success. That is what perseverance is. We just continue through, despite the difficulty, despite the opposition, despite the delay, we continue, we persevere. And you know, when you think about that word persistent, <coughs> the first thing that comes to my mind, I don't know about anybody else, is the account of the widow in Luke 18, the persistent widow. You know, she's, always, she's known as the persistent widow. And Jesus tells the disciples a parable about this woman who is a, she's a widow, so she's got no means of income. She's got no support network. And she goes to the judge, the, un, the unjust judge, by the way, she goes to this judge and she persists in asking him to seek justice on her behalf. And the account tells us that the judge, first of all, he didn't fear God, and he had no regard for man. So 
He is not a reflection of God. In fact, Jesus tells us at the end of the parable, this is not a reflection of God. But what the whole purpose of the parable is to show how this woman persisted in asking the judge to, to, to seek justice for, on her behalf. And this judge says this in, in Luke 18. He says, because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. This woman persisted. She, had, she was desperate. She had no other means. She needed help, and she persisted. And I think sometimes when we come to God, we, we, we just give up. We just stop. But this woman, she, she was persistent. In fact, I like what the New Living Translation says, this woman is driving me crazy. She's driving me nuts. She's annoying me intolerably and wearing me out by her continual coming. And eventually what happens is the judge gives in to this woman's persistence. Not because he cared for her, because he said, the Bible says, that the parable says that he didn't care for man or God, but he was concerned about himself. He said, this woman keeps pestering me and she's going to wear me out. So he was more concerned about his own um, status than taking care of this widow. But he eventually sought justice for this woman. And, um, and I love, though, what Jesus says at the end of that parable. He says that God the Father is not like that judge. He's not like that judge. God will avenge his children speedily. If you're looking, if you're looking for justice, you're looking for vengeance, God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Leave it with him okay? He will take care of us swiftly, speedily. But then he goes on to ask this question. He says, but when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in all the earth? So he's saying it's okay to persist in prayer, because he's talking there actually about prayer. The start of that parable is all about prayer. So it's good to persist in prayer. But he says, but when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? So we can't just persist being dogmatic and put you know, pouting and throwing a hissy fit, we, we, we've got to apply faith. Perseverance speaks of walking by faith, and it entails trusting. It entails waiting and patiently enduring, not giving up. Don't give up. Just keep believing. Keep trusting God, regardless of what's going on on the outside. We walk by faith and not by sight. You know what? We have a vision to see this hall filled, filled on a Sunday morning, not just for movie nights, but every Sunday. We have a vision for that, and we will persevere until Jesus returns. We are not giving up. We are applying our faith. We are praying every night. Lord, we're badgering him. We are harassing God, but we're applying our faith because we know that God's desire is that all men are, are saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants to break out in people's lives. So we are persevering. We are walking by faith and not by sight. And in Hebrews 6, 11, it says, we desire each of you demonstrate the same diligence for the full assurance of your hope until the end. Until the end. So you won't become lazy. Another version says you won't become sluggish. You know, like those horrible slugs, 
can't stand them. Don't become sluggish, but be imitators of, of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The CSB version says, through faith and perseverance, we inherit the promises. It's not just about perseverance. We've got to add perseverance to our faith. Faith is the undergird. Faith is the foundation. And we've got to walk by faith. And with this in mind, we've got to go to an account in, in the Luke's Gospel. We're not going to read it. But I was just so touched by the Lord just studying and preparing for this message today. In Luke chapter 2 is the account of Anna, the prophetess. And you know, Luke chapter 2 is normally Christmas. We preach about all these nice things at Christmas time. But Christmas is every day. Jesus is born, he's, he's been crucified, but he's raised to life, and we celebrate his resurrection and his ascension every single day, and we celebrate his birth. But when Jesus was 40 days old, Joseph and his mother Mary took Jesus to the temple to, to present him and consecrate him to the Lord. That was the custom. The firstborn, as the firstborn, that's what you do with the firstborn. And so Jesus was taken by Mary and um, Joseph. And there we find, when they come to the temple, there we find Anna, this prophetess. Now, some people think that she was 84 years old. Personally, I think she was 104 years old. And I'll tell you why. Because she was possibly married at the age of 13, which was the age that these young teenage girls would get married in those times. She was widowed at 20. She was married for seven years. It says so in the scripture. She was married for seven years. By the age of 20, she was a widow. And the Bible says that she remained widowed for the next 84 years. So on, on my calculations, the woman's eight, 104. 104 years old. She'd been widowed for eight, over eight decades. Over eight decades. And yet she went to church. She went to the temple every single day every single day. And the Bible says that she served God. That word actually means she worshipped God. She, she fasted, she prayed, she served. I don't believe that she just sort of sat around praying, on a, sitting on a rusty dusty. I believe that she was out there, she was cleaning the seats, she was cleaning the pews, she was polishing whatever it is they polished, I don't know. But she served God. Everything she did, she was devoted, totally devoted to the Lord. She was a godly woman, this woman, Anna, the prophetess. She had suffered pain and loss in her life at such a young age, and yet she never became bitter. She just served the Lord for over eight decades and maintained her hope. She had that close walk with the Lord. She had that close walk with God, and that was revealed by her love for Jesus. This was revealed about her love. She just had a desire to tell everybody about Jesus. And I just noticed this this morning, and I just want to read this. It's not going to come up on the screen. Um, but in Luke chapter 2, it says here, talks about this woman who was a widow of about 84 years, who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Verse 38, and coming in that instant, 
Coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. This woman, this 104-year-old prophetess, has three verses wedged into my Bible. Three verses. She's, got, she's mentioned. She's mentioned. I believe she's the first evangelist. She's the first, and it's a woman, bless God, and it's an older woman, praise God. Come on, us older women. Yes, hallelujah. But what I love about that, in that instant, she had been serving for over eight decades, and in that instant, when Mary brought Jesus into the temple, at the right time, she saw Jesus. And she started declaring. She was a prophetess. She declared the heart of God. She couldn't wait to tell people about Messiah. And that's what she did. This woman, was. she epitomizes perseverance and godliness. What an example to us. Oh, what a perfect example. The posture of perseverance is not passivity. It's not passivity. She served God with, with fastings, with prayer. She, she loved him. She worshipped him. And, um, and we see this in this woman coming in that instant at the right time. You know what? You might be going through something right now. I don't know if you've been believing God and trusting God for eight, over eight decades. Most of us haven't arrived at that, that age yet. Some of us have. But but I tell you what, don't give up. Just keep persevering. Just keep trusting God. Just keep trusting God. Be persistent. Release your faith. It's like that persistent widow that we spoke about earlier. She was persistent. She didn't give up. She had that um, posture of perseverance by, by being persistent. So, Anna lived. What, what caused... Think about Anna this prophetess who for over eight decades is in the temple. I believe what drew her, what, how did she manage to stay the course? And I believe it's because she had a vision. She was a prophetess. She, believed, she knew the scriptures. She knew the Old Testament. And the thing that drew her was vision. She knew that the, the Bible, Chris quoted it last week, without vision, my people perish. Remember? Your, you, your hair goes all over the place. You, you without restraint. But, but, but vision can draw you. Vision can draw you. So if you believe in God for something, you believe in God for something, have a vision. Have a, not, not saying a physical vision, but have a vision in your heart that this is what God wants me to believe for. And have the word that you're going to stand on. But that vision can draw you, especially in a period of long, a long time of waiting. And what I love, though, is that this woman, Anna, she, she maintained her walk. She stayed doing what she, what she had been called to do. She was called to be a prophetess. She stayed. She didn't deviate. She didn't give up after 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 60 years. She kept doing the same thing. She stayed on track. And that's what we need to do, running our best lap yet. When things come, when trials come, because trials will come, don't, get, don't deviate. Don't, get, don't go running into someone else's lane. Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. Don't give up halfway. Carry on to the finish line. Like, those, like Hebrews 6 
talks about that we're not going to become sluggish, we're not going to become lazy, but we're going to believe to the very end. I love what Lamentations chapter 3 says from the message. It says, God proves to be good to the man who passionately waits, to the woman who diligently seeks. It's a good thing to quietly hope, quietly hope for help from God. It's a good thing when you're going to stick it out. It's a good thing when you're young to stick it out through the hard times. I believe, I know I'm totally wrong here and you can correct me afterwards, okay. I think if Anna, the prophetess, wrote any scripture, this was it. I think Anna wrote it, I know she didn't. Okay, don't email us. I know, I think it was Jeremiah, but just the wording, God proves to be good to the man who passionately waits, to the woman who diligently seeks. And he, she fin he finishes it and he says, it's a good thing when, you, when you're young. This woman, Anna, stuck it out from when she was young. She was persistent for the, over 84 years. You learn how to stick it out through the hard times. So we have to, talking about perseverance, it would be remiss of me if we didn't come to James chapter 1, verses 2 to, 2 to 3. And here's the great scripture all about troubles and trials, the ones that, I hate the scripture. No, I don't. I love it because God teaches us so much about it. He says, consider it pure joy. Some translations say, count it all joy when my brothers and my sisters talking to the church, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. I want to kind of turn that around a little bit and say, instead of starting with considerate pure joy, we're going to start with whenever, not if ever, whenever you face trials of many kinds, not just one, many trials. Do you ever have a week like that where it feels like there's this and there's this and then there's this and there's this? Count it all joy. Count it all joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. It can seem sometimes that they're coming from every direction. And he says, count it all joy. Consider it all joy. How does that work? How, how on earth, when you're under pressure, do you count it all joy? And I used to think, well, that means that I must just put a stupid little grin on my face and, you know, sing some happy songs and everything's going to be okay. You know, everything's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. That is not what it means. That is not, that's not the way that it works out. No, he says we can count it all joy because we know that our faith is being tested. Because we can know, we can count it all joy. We, in fact, it says we can consider it the highest, the maximum degree of joy when you know that your faith's being tested. Your faith is being tested. Because I know if my faith is being tested, God is getting my attention about something. Faith isn't faith until it's tested. You know, so often I think I'm believing God for something. And I tell you what, this happened to us during the lockdown when we had no income for six months. 
no um, furlough, not like everybody else, our circumstances were different, we had nothing, zilch, zip. And Sandy, what are you believing? What do you believe in God? I tell you what, I was challenged. I thought I was in a different place until the rubber hit the road. It was not easy. But faith isn't faith until it's tested. Praise God he brought us through that. We're still standing. But faith is tested. It's tested through trials. But it's not produced through trials. I think this is so key. Faith is tested through trials, but faith is not produced through trials. God is not the author of your trial. God is not the one who's trying to see how, how much he can break you. That's not God's way. No, faith is tested through trials. And sometimes it might seem like we think we're in faith, you know, we might even speak like we're in faith. We can quote all the scriptures. Yes, my God shall provide all my needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Yes, amen. Just going on to the bank. Oops, there goes some more money out the bank and there's nothing coming in. Do you still trust God? Do you still believe God? Is he still your source? Is he still your provider? Come on, am I the only one, or has anybody else experienced some of this? I'm the only one brave enough to say, no, this is what's happened. We might even act like we're in faith. We might even sound like we're in faith. But when that faith is put to the test, that's when we recognize, when we know what we truly believe. Then we realize, when, you, when you're facing that trial, that, that word says the testing of your faith means proving the authenticity, the genuineness of your faith. That's what the testing of your faith is. It's trying to see. God is trying to get my attention. Sandy, you, you're trusting me, but how genuine is your faith? How authentic is your faith? So the testing of our faith demonstrates something to us. It demonstrates to us how authentic, how genuine our faith is or isn't. And it's so important, I just want to throw in a little caveat here, it's so important to recognize that God is not the one who causes our trials. He doesn't put trials on us to teach us a lesson. That is not God's way. God is a father. Next week we're celebrating Father's Day. We've got the most wonderful father, Father God. He is our Father. And the Bible says that He disciplines those whom He loves. He doesn't beat us up. He doesn't put pressure on us and sickness and harm us to teach us lessons. He disciplines those whom He loves. If you've got children, you know you discipline your children. You tell them, don't stick your fingers in the light sockets. You've got to do it. You've got to tell them because you love them. And that's what God is like. He doesn't put trials on us to teach us a lesson. So trials can come from various places, sometimes from the devil, sometimes through circumstances, sometimes through other people, sometimes ourselves. Sometimes I think we're our own worst enemy. Man, I know I've caused a lot of trials in my own life. But regardless of the source, we get to choose the way we respond to the trials. But in the midst of the trial, God can reveal to you and to me 
where our heart is. Whether we, and, and you know what, it might not be in a good place, but God doesn't just leave you there and say, okay, well, I knew it, you know. Oh, no, that's not God's way. He knows you perfectly. God knows exactly where you are at. He knows every thought, every, every word that you're going to speak. He knows it all together. And he says, and yet he, he loves you. He loves you. He knows what's going on in your life. He loves you. But he wants you to also know where you are. And that's why. His love towards us is perfect. His steadfast love, his persistent love towards us. So the testing of our faith demonstrates something. It demonstrates how genuine our faith is. But the testing of our faith also produces something. And that something is called perseverance. It's called perseverance. So James 1 verse 3 and 4 says, because you know, you know this, that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work. Another version says, let perseverance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let, let, let patience have her perfect work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. There's a scripture that says that godliness with contentment is of great gain. It's so good when you, can, when you can actually feel that I lack nothing. I lack nothing. Yes, I've got a little list of things that I would like, but in fact, I lack nothing. All my needs are met. Godliness with contentment. So perseverance does a work in us. It matures us. It grows us. He says there, let perseverance finish its work. Let perseverance finish its work. It has a purpose. Perseverance has a purpose. It's an additive. It's beneficial. It's nutrition for us. It's needed. Perseverance is what gets the job done. It's what gets us through. And Romans 5 verses 3 and 4 says, not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing this, again, here is that knowing word, that tribulation, problems, trials, produce perseverance and perseverance, character. Character is not produced by being born with a silver spoon in your mouth and having all your needs met and every single want and desire met. That doesn't build character. Character comes about as we, as, as we trust God, as we persevere through the trial, through the storm, as we, as we continue to trust him. There can be a positive outcome to trials as long as we are cooperating with God within them, not trying to escape them. So all of this, like this is good, this is good teaching. I don't know about you, but I got greatly encouraged in preparation for this, but I thought, but how do we apply this? How do we apply this? So I'm going to skip through. Very basically, we, man, is a, man is a three-part being, okay? We want to be able to apply this. It's good to get good teaching. It's good to have knowledge. But we've got to learn. It's no good hearing this and leaving here and not being able to apply it. So we're going to see just how can we unpack this? How can we apply this in our everyday lives? And I've run out of time, but I will be quick. So man is a three-part being, spirit, soul, and body. And we can apply 
perseverance to all three parts of, our, of, our, of ourselves. Spirit. Man is a spirit. But we're adding to our faith. Faith is the foundation, and we need to feed it. I want to encourage everybody, spend time with God. Call it what you like. Call it a quiet time. Call it a loud time. Call it whatever you like. But spend time with God this week. Add to your faith. It doesn't just happen. It's like going to the gym. It does, you know, I don't just drift into prayer. I don't just drift. I don't find myself drifting spiritually all week. You know what I'm saying? I've got things to do. I've got stuff to do. So, but we've got to do this on purpose. The trials of life do not produce faith. They don't produce faith. So we need to be continually building ourselves up. Be built up so that when the trials come, you've got a word, you've got a scripture. Get into the word. Spend time with God. Our soul. Take care of our souls. Our pastor in South Africa, Ray McCauley, he always used to say that after having a bad day at the office, I thought, you're the senior pastor of the church. How can you have a bad day at the office? <laughs> you know? But he did sometimes have a bad day at the office. And he said he wouldn't go home and go and lock himself in the, in the study and pray in the spirit for three hours. He'd go jump in the swimming pool and play with the kids. We've got to have some fun, people, okay? You've got to have some soulish out stuff going on in your life. Next week, Chris is taking me to see Top Gun. We're going to go and see Top Gun, okay? So, we, but we've got to have bandwidth. We've got to have capacity. We've got to have margins. I'm not saying we don't pray. Yes, we pray. But we've also got a soul, and we've got to look after our little souls because they are needy. We need God. We, need, we can't just let things go. And our body, we've got to take care of our bodies. You know, just simple things. Bodily exercise profits a little. At least it profits a little. But let's do a little bit of exercise. And I know in today's world, uh, you know, for Chris, he, he works from home. He walks a few steps and he's in his study and he works there all day. Doesn't leave the office at all, hardly ever. But it's become important that he starts moving more. And I'm saying this with the greatest lot of love and respect for my husband. It's not his fault, but work is busy and he can't get away from his office. He can't get away from his desk, but he has to do it on purpose. Let's take care of ourselves. Eat healthily. Let's drink lots of water. Come on. Let's hydrate. Come on. These are, this, these are very important things. And sometimes we've got to do what I, what I call the Elijah principle. Never heard of it, won't find it anywhere, not even on the internet. But I call it the Elijah principle, which says that we've got to take a nap and eat a snack. That is the Elijah principle. When Elijah had just killed 450 prophets, those false prophets of Baal, I mean, one guy killing 450 people on his own, he killed 450 people, and then Jezebel, because of that, Jezebel wanted to kill him. So he ran, the Bible says that he, he ran for his life and escaped to Beersheba, Beersheba, and that's about 100 miles away. He ran. He was tired. He was worn out. That would be from here to Cardiff, running. Run from here to Cardiff, I can't dare you. Or run from here to Cambridge, it's the same thing. Or from here to Coventry, so three C's, that's how I remembered all the three towns. But that's how far it is, 108 miles. 
And he ran. When he got there, he was shattered. He was exhausted. And what, so what did he do? He found a broom tree, a lonely little broom tree. And I think, wow, what's the relevance of the lonely broom tree? I don't think there is any. But he collapsed in its shade. And he fell asleep. And while he was sleeping, the angel of the Lord came and woke him up and said, time to wake up, Elijah. Have a snack. So he, did, he, he provided him a snack. He had a snack. And he went back to sleep. Went back to sleep. The angel came a second time. Tap, tap, tap. Elijah, wake up. Here's another snack. He had his snack. Then he had a nap. And he was refreshed. He said, because what's lying ahead of you is 40 days and 40 nights of more running. You're going to need your sustenance. So we don't just take care of ourselves for now, but also for the future. We're not always going to be young and trim. We're going to get older and we're going to need extra energy. Okay, I'm speaking to myself. So we need to listen to our bodies. We need to fill our hearts, fill our minds with the Word of God. Spend time with God this week. Make it, go to the gymnasium, okay? Be spiritually built up this week. Come on, people. Come on, talk to me. Be spiritually built up and we're going to add to our faith. We are not superheroes. We are not superheroes. We are three-part being. We have to take care of ourselves. And when we're going through trials, yeah. when we're going through, through difficulties, when the things that we're believing for are delayed and taking forever to come through, we've got to, we've got to take care of ourselves. Okay, so we're going to end with that. And we're going to live godly lives like Anna, devoted to God, take a nap, take a snack, and live godly lives. Praise God. Amen and amen.